Staring at the abyss. Yeah, you'll, you'll uh, not notice, dear fans, but uh, Harland and I are in the same room this time. Usually we don't do it in the same room because Harland's in Minnesota and I'm in Oregon. Anyway. <clears throat> and today we're both in Oregon, so so much the worse for them, I guess. Well, la-dee-da. You missed it. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, how do I, uh, start talking here? Jesus, um, should I just introduce myself? Yeah, I think, because I don't know, because who knows? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I don't know if this is going to be a short or a long. (laughs) When I talked to my wife about it, she seemed to be pretty confident that we won't go through this all, but anyway, uh, okay, I am Ryan Detox and August McKenna. And I'm Harland addicted to approval grant. <laughs> and we are the Doddlers. And this is the Doddlers Philosophy Podcast of Indefinite Duration. talking about today well we're doing something that we've never done before and it's not i promise an attempt to like gain clicks or anything because everything we've done so far is an attempt to gain clicks you forgot the uh the conditioner there a failed attempt yeah failed attempts this will be another one this one is 10 things i don't like in nonfiction books it sounds like it could be fit for BuzzFeed. <laughs> it sure shit does. Ten Things I Hate About Nonfiction by Ryan McKenna. That's right. Uh, shall we just get right into it? No, I think we should dawdle. For- yes! <laughs> what has happened? What are you- right. How do you mean you hate? You love nonfiction. It's all you read. What are you it's talking about? It's all I read. Okay, are you writing or editing a nonfiction book? Well, here's ten unordered things as a nonfiction reader that I don't like. Now, I tend to read, and this is a disclaimer, popular and technical science, history, and philosophy books, but I don't see why these don't apply to other genres, like biographies, self-help, how-to, memoirs, blah, blah, blah. If editors or publishers are pushing for these things, I'd like to see the evidentiary support for why before I relent. And, of course, my dog needs to relent. She's tearing at the fucking door. Let me in. Anyway. So, uh... Do you need to address that? No. All right. She's just got to give up. No. She's like... Anyway. Oh, if I let her in, then she'll want to, like, reintroduce herself to everybody, you know? Number one. 
Maps and Legends. I don't like roadmaps, like chapter roadmaps. I skip right over these. The preface, prologue, etc., is the chance for me to meet you, dear author. When you lean on the roadmap crutch, I start to dart around the book on my own looking for something of value, and this makes reading the book like a total chore. Catch me and hold me to the pages. Is the table of contents not enough? <laughs> I think I know what you mean by this. Is this how when, like you say, it'll be a separate section, it won't count as number one yet, but it's just introduction or it's preface or it's whatever, and they sort of give you a little outline and like there'll be one paragraph about chapter one and yes. one paragraph about chapter two. It reminds me of how school teachers will use these tools as assignment assists for the class, right? Like, yeah, I need to have something to grade you on. So first I'll make you write an outline and then I'll make you write a first draft and then I'll, you know. Right. And so that this f preface as being your outline can feel... Um, what is the term? Pedantic or whatever? I think that it's, amateurish. Yeah. Like you're kind of a novice. Like that's my feeling is that you're, you know, your, your editor or whoever is like, oh, you got to start explaining things, you know, like already, you know, like you're losing me, you know, that kind of thing. And like as a reader, I'm like, now you're really losing me is because you're shining a giant spotlight on like, usually sometimes it, they'll be doing some interesting things because it's sometimes these sort of preface prologue uh you know introduction -y type chapters will have this quality to them where the author kind of gets to like you know spin a yarn or whatever a little bit and before you know it though they start talking about the the meat and potatoes of the matter and you're just like whoa 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 we were just getting into the uh you know the moose bouche or whatever the fuck they call that shit so i i don't like it do you think it might be so prevalent because people are not writing books for you and me mm. they're writing books for the public and of course we are uh special we're elevated we are the elites <laughs> we are separate and above the rest of the that hoi sure polloi. feels like it could be the answer harlan <laughs> and how many other people who bought that book because it all comes down to the almighty dollar hmm. right? with some of these things, depending on how much. It's going to be your answer to all of these things. You'll be like, almighty dollar once again. No. How many people that bought it just read that? But now they've, they only read the preface. But if they make prefaces in this manner, then all those people still have enough to go to the party and talk as though they've read the book. Oh. And then all the other people could say, oh, yes, I read that book or whatever, because oh, they browsed it for five minutes in Powell's. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. I would love to see if any kind of, like, publishing company, the editorial group, like, got together and they're like, okay, what we really want is for the people just to read that first little thing so they can go to the party and talk about it. We've already got them. They bought the book. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Number two. Show, don't tell, nonfiction style. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me. Just tell me. I don't need you to set me up for success by telling me what to expect. I'm not an anxious child getting a flu shot. 
This is nonfiction's version of show don't tell. Maybe it should be tell don't tell. Be yourself. Let me find out who you are. What matters to you? I am much more receptive to and forgiving of someone I like than someone I don't like or care about. I like authors who are honest and open, thoughtful, but daring. Is this show but don't tell meme from cinema where it's a frequent suggestion to directors that it's kind of a crutch to like have a voiceover and tell oh i was feeling sad instead just give a close-up of the actor's face emoting is that what yes where that comes from for sure but i think it's also a play on it's when i say non-fiction style i'm kind of saying well in fiction if you're writing they don't want you to like you know have everybody say the dialogue or whatever. They just want, you know, just describe what's having happening or whatever. And in movies in particular, that's much more apparent, I think, when you're watching a movie and you're like, you know, why are they telling me how great this person is? Why can't you just show me, you know, the person doing being great or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But so this is the nonfiction version of that. Don't say the hero walked in. Show them do something heroic and let them right. decide for themselves. But in nonfiction, it's similar to the chapter maps where they're like, you know, they'll say something like, I'm going to tell you. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so then at the end, they'll have a summary like, I told you I was and, going right. to tell you. And then I told you. And it's just like, Jesus, that's so unnecessary. It's a waste of like paper and ink and all that kind of stuff. It's a common rhetorical tool repetition uh if part of their goal or purpose with this work is to persuade their audience of something maybe one of the motivations to do that is so that it's another style of repetition i'm going to tell you this and then they tell you that and then they tell you here's what i just told you yeah and maybe one of those three sticks in certain people's minds because they work better for them. Like apparently what works best for you would be number two in that system. Just tell me. Just tell me. I think I tend toward liking summaries a little bit. Like if we look at the, I'm going to tell you this, here it is, and now here's (laughs) what I told you. I kind of like the third one because often I will feel as though authors get a little bit lost or convoluted in this number two where they're actually telling me. And then I would just want to hear, I don't need 20 pages, just give me the last two paragraphs where you tell me. Or that can be used on rereadings to say, now that I got to the summary part, yeah, I understand in brief what you're saying. Now let me go back and chew on the whole meal. I do feel like, though, if you're a good enough writer... Or if you care enough about good writing and you put in the effort to do good writing, you won't have to summarize. You know what I mean? Like I know oh, yeah, it's an but ideal. This is nonfiction. Nobody cares about writing. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. All right. You... Number three. Style and substance. I like epigraphs a lot. So it sucks when the author uses a long or multiple long epigraphs at the start of their chapters. I bet the long epigraphs they've chosen are really insightful, but it's totally disorienting. Maybe they should include these as like block quotes in the body of the chapter if they're so important. To me, epigraphs 
are as much about style as they are about substance. I want to get your drift. I don't want to like have to like start like it's like pre-reading, you know, before mm-hmm. like just if what's like you write, not, you know, like come on. That's I get it. That's a good one. That's fair, you know. Would it be more useful if it was included later on as a quote instead of some out of because you don't have the context you don't know why is this here right this is some other person and they're talking about some other thing or you know what how does this connect to your thing but if they embedded it instead then you'd maybe have more context it seems to me like it could be like the reading comprehension version of only being able to hold like three things in your head at the one time you know and if you're anticipating, like whenever I'm reading, I'm anticipating what's coming up in the chapter. And if there's just some like heavy block quotes, I almost just, I kind of, I, I lose my appetite right away. Like, I'm just like, you're, this is a lot right now mm-hmm. for me to have to like go from them to you now, you know, and somehow it's all going to work out in the end. I don't know. Apparently this is coming up for me already multiple times in your 10 things. And maybe it's just because of the way I do it, where I will revisit and reread the books that I like the most or care about the most or think have the most important stuff in them. I'll go back over and over three times, five times, whatever. And like the summaries at the end of a chapter can help recontextualize and add meat to the second reading of a chapter, I think these kind of epigraph preface quote things can function similarly they strike me differently on the second reading because now i know oh that's why you know it's like one of those movies where you know there's a lot of time differences going on and you don't you're not quite sure why this was happening in the beginning of the movie but right. by the end of the movie you're like oh i get it now it's memento in non-fiction <laughs> yeah, book form. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think you used the word disorienting, and yeah, I get it. That, that would, that's kind of disorienting. In certain fictional contexts, that's on purpose. But the, supposedly we wouldn't want to be disoriented when reading our pop science book. Yeah, and I think that... Uh, I mean, it, with the idea that it's it's a book for those we cherish in particular, those specific books, then yeah, I mean, you're just going to end up like digesting a ton of it anyway. But I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case with every book that I read. I'm like, this may not, you know, last. I may take it back to pals and they'll be like, yeah, we're not buying this back. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> number four in the end. I don't like footnotes or end notes by chapter. You're mucking up the works and making me work hard again. Footnotes are sometimes like a second book I have to read while I'm reading the one I came for. With end notes by chapter, it's hard to tell if I'm in the right chapter section. I can't just look at the number. I also have to be in the right section. I like end notes in one long series from one to infinity, whatever, somewhere at the end of the book. That way, I always know where I am. Oh, now we have a disagreement. Mm, fighting words. My favorite way to address those is to have them on the same page. So that I'm reading along and I hit either, you could have the system where it's like an asterisk and then a cross and then different shapes, or you could just have <laughs> one, two, three. 
or whatever. And all I have to do is turn my eyes down to the bottom of the page where there will be a little horizontal line and then the one with the note. Put it on the same exact page. I don't want to... End of the chapter is worst. End of the book is second worst. (laughs) I want it just on the page. Yeah, no. So end of the chapter, I see those two. And I didn't address that in this. But I'm thinking there's, there's sometimes at the end of the book, they'll go chapter by chapter. So if yeah, you just that's open, horrible because I'm like, now, where are we? Now I've got my finger stuck in the end of the book or whatever the whole time because yeah, I know I'm going to have to flip back right. and forth and it sucks. Just put it on the same page. But my thinking is if it's something that's not important enough, then it's just a neat thing. And you're just you're you're an erudite motherfucker. And I love it. But, you know, and maybe it will turn into something great. But like so often I've read even some of my more favorite heroic individuals that I read and they're goddamn some of them like Stephen Jay Gould is the worst offender. His footnotes sometimes are are bigger than the actual page for the and it's yeah. like oh my god. You know, if yeah. So already uh, does that too. <laughs> god. And of course many people, but yeah. That's Ideally, minimize the amount that you stick in footnotes. And again, it goes back to the craft of writing. Yeah. So I agree. I'd like there to be fewer. And then if it's a footnote, put it on the same page. And if it's a citation or whatever, of course, then that just should be all Well, that's just the bibliography. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Put your, that, you know. And that, you know, that's its own kind of beast. And I know those ones are trouble as well. Everybody has trouble with it. With a big bibliography, especially if it's technical nonfiction type work. Number five, size matters. You should be able to say everything in no more than 300 pages. (laughs) Short little books can be cool, like Sam Harris likes, but mostly for confirmed ideas or fields that don't need to marshal a ton of support anymore. Longer books implicitly advertise their novel and exploratory nature. But if the book is 450 plus pages, I'm sorry, you haven't said that many interesting things. Or maybe with a little bit more organizing, you could split the book up into more than one and have multiple volumes or whatever. But also, there are other books I want to read. I can't spend all my time reading all 150,000 words you wrote, including the preface, my copy of Thomas Kuhn's hold on. The Structure of Scientific Revolutions is 182 pages. Steven Pinker's latest book, Defending Rationality, is 432 pages. Not sure how different this book is from his 576-page book, 2019's Enlightenment Now. That 182 pages by Kuhn is really all he is known for. In two years, Pinker published a thousand pages of the same thing, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, typing like, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, over and over again. It's as if for every five to six pages that Pinker uses big words to express his love of the status quo, Kuhn writes one subversive page of pure gold. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's all about the money. <laughs> right? For Pinker, at least. Uh, probably not for it's SSR, or whatever we're supposed to abbreviate 
the coon now because it's such a I know, so right? eminent. It's so it just classic. gets its own acronym. Yeah, he called it just structure, and everyone's yeah, like, structure. "Yeah, I get yeah, it." Yeah. <laughs> it strikes me as arbitrary to set page limits. Uh, what size is your font? What natural language are you writing in? Blah blah blah. In general, of course, there's much there to agree with, and uh, again, craft of writing and parsimony and organization. And yeah, sometimes things might be better chopped up into two separate volumes. All sorts, uh, yeah. But I mean, I don't want to set page limits or whatever. It's a suggestion. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's a hard I'm line. I'm drawing saying, in the sand. I'm not just saying it's because science and sanity is a thousand pages. And that's what, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Well, I mean, if it's like your only book, too, that would be. I'm not saying that is his only book, but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you spent your whole goddamn life, but God, fucking Pinker has not. Anyway, quit being lazy, McKenna. Number six, email is fine. The next one is mostly for journalists. I'm not sure why they do interviews. Perhaps it's the reporter in them or something. But usually, these people they interview are the heroes of their story, and unless. You're like Sabine Hassenfelder, who has skin in the game, and the interviews are of people she is critiquing. Just interview for clarity. And unless you're spending a lot of time with these people, email is fine. I don't care what the person is like, or what they're wearing, or how they down a beer. What did they do? How are they important to what you're trying to say? If literary critics don't want this shit in novels, why is it in a book about endangered species? I don't like this passage uh, in I Contain Multitudes by Ed Young. Quote, On 4 January 2011, in the first hours of a crisp Australian morning, Scott O'Neill walks up to a yellow bungalow in a suburb in Cairns. He sports glasses, a goatee, jeans, and an off-white shirt with Eliminate Dengue written over the breast pocket. It goes on. It ends with someone yelling, Go, babies, go! I guess I'm entertained. Narrative need not be like this. In a bunch of the other ones, weren't you critiquing people for not emphasizing the craft of writing? And now this one, it sounds like these people are attempting to craft a narrative and engage you and pull you in and stuff, but you don't want it. No, I want them to write like really good prose about the ideas and about what the ultimate book is about and to have that serve the ideas. This guy's breast pocket doesn't yeah. serve the ideas <laughs> of what he's trying to say. Like It's just fluff. I don't know if I agree that it's just fluff. One thing it's that I absolute. could... That I could see as a problem is that as soon as you start playing that game, you bring in a whole bunch of uh, bias and observation and like which things are you going to choose to mention, which things aren't you. And one person might care about the breast pocket and one might notice his hair was disheveled and one might notice that his shoes were worn on the bottom. And all of these things I think could indicate potentially, not necessarily relevant aspects about the character or the scene or the way it might matter in fiction probably 
right? Because you're setting the scene. What I think what people want to do in nonfiction with narrative nonfiction in particular, but a lot of the stuff isn't just, you know, these different genres overlap in one book and all that kind of stuff. Um, my thinking is just that it's, you know, it's a book you're trying, you're selling an idea, I think, as much as you're selling anything in these books. And I just, the fact that the house was yellow, like, it's, you know, I, I think I've got more that I'll be able to hopefully show what I like when it is sort of, I wouldn't say fluff, but we'll call it color. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, in the next, as we I proceed. Hope so. okay. I hope so. I, I, it's been a while since, I, since I've thought about this. All right. Number seven. Story time. So here, tell a story, or well, tell stories. Still, there's a fine line between he said, she said dialogue and a series of events with a point at the end. Tell a story by piecing together the work, the views, the motivations, the results. It's not a novel. Paraphrase a little, or a lot. Quote what people say and write if a quote says it better than you can, or if it adds a little grounding from the source. There's a random example now, here's a random example of what I don't like from the book Complexity by N. Mitchell Waldrop. Let's talk about networks as a model of the genetic regulatory system, says Kaufman with the enthusiasm of a convert. No, this can be said without directly quoting and describing how it was said. How does it serve the idea of applying network modeling to genetics? Is, it the, is this point about drumming up hype for the Santa Fe Institute or the work that was done there. And I guess this one is also mostly for journalists. <laughs> but, you know, and we they don't count. <laughs> we Ultimately, we don't give a shit what they're saying. Well, we, you know, they're players. They're players in this thing. On the party circuit. <laughs> on the, oh, yes, I read the latest Malcolm Gladwell book circuit. <laughs> exactly. They're there. Ha- taking up the, uh, the brain space or waves or whatever. I think with many of these, I might be more along the lines of it could be done well or poorly rather than categorically I dislike any instance of um, adding in a idiosyncratic description of your impression of Stuart Kaufman's affect. Uh, that could be done well or it could be done annoyingly. I might be okay with it or not, depending on how it's written and how it works. And or it could what I might consider manipulative rhetorical, you know, you might choose to describe this let's say you didn't i don't know in this case but you didn't like the kaufman guy or what he had to say then you might make him sound like an overzealous nut job or something in your paragraph and this is how you might import that with these sort of descriptive passages rather than just talking about the ideas yeah but i kind of that's my main question i guess when it comes to these kind of quotes it's like well when i read the book it got confusing to me after a while because I got lost in the idea of, is this, the book's called Complexity. Why isn't it just called Complexity Scientists at the Santa Fe Institute? It got to that point where I thought the mission creep started to kick in 
or whatever. And so the scope oh, changed quite because a bit. Because the latter wouldn't sell as well. Yeah, oh, fucking Jesus Christ. Right. All right, next. We did market research, and it's... Uh... <laughs> Number oh, eight. Yeah. Hey. Apology unaccepted. Don't apologize to me. I have come to your book because I am not just comfortable with the material. I'm drawn to it. Hit me with everything you've got. Some things I'll be familiar with and some things I won't. I want to learn. This bit from the Song of the Dodo by David Quammen has always bothered me from the first time I read it. It may be odious to behold, but it's inescapable for anyone concerned with later developments in island biogeography. Close your eyes and I'll print it quickly. S equals C times A to the Z. All right, you can open them. My teeth are clenched. Who is this man's audience supposed to be? Apology unaccepted. Well, that's... What do you mean who is his audience? This is what I was saying before. These, this isn't for you. you. This isn't for the people who want to see the equations. And Apology are, unaccepted. And, uh, and understand them and are going to write Don't them apologize. down on your own paper. It's, it's not, not for you. you. It doesn't matter. Don't apologize for the, for the information. If this information is so important that you're going to write a whole book about it, and so much of that work is done on these types of equations and more, then you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm so sorry that it's hard now. No. The editor told him to put that in. Yeah, he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I just hate it. I hate it. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I guess I probably do too. That's unnecessary. I don't. I don't need that stuff. But I. I don't know. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, make a podcast about my hate of it. Oh well. <laughs> that would be you. I'll make half a podcast about it then. All right. Number nine. Things unsaid about the elephant in the room. As mutineers living in a complex society, we have many views. Some other views we really don't like or think are irrelevant. But if in other circles other ideas are similar and they're in a similar weight class, mention it. Acknowledge the elephant in the room. Why are you not talking about the other different idea concerned with the same dynamic or outcome or whatever? This is related to me as a reader not liking you. It's potentially dishonest and closed off. If one wrote a weight loss book whose central idea was something specific about calorie reduction and didn't mention a different but similarly and popular specific idea that also focused on calorie reduction and everybody else has heard of this other idea, I will become suspicious that you're either trying to deceive me or not as well informed about your topic and now you're losing me. In the publishing biz, the term they use is comparative titles. These are the other books about the same topics. I'll often flip to a bibliography to see if a book contains those other titles and authors. If they don't, I start to think there's an agenda. Okay. I, that Often people do address some segment of what they consider, for one reason or other, to be the relevant alternatives. It has to be left up to each individual case and them making their own decisions, I guess. Sometimes I feel similarly, like, I wish you had, you, you know, I, I happen to enjoy and respect the work of Keith Frankish, and you're writing about consciousness, and you didn't mention 
illusionism. I think you should have addressed that because I consider it a relevant alternative. Maybe they don't. And how are we going to decide which things get mentioned and which don't? I would say it's if the topic is, if they, like Dennett and Frankish, are like consciousness doesn't exist, right? And they didn't mention illusionism or any of the work by Dennett or something like that, then I'd be like, it's like they, like there was this one book written by this guy. Um, oh God, I can't remember his name. It's not, his last name's not Kaufman, but it's something like that. And he's the um, cellular automata guy. And he wrote a book called A New Kind of Life or something. Wolfram, A New Kind, a new kind of Science. A New Kind of a science. New science. So he didn't cite anybody in that book. And it pissed everybody off because it made it seem like he was taking credit for all these different scientific, you know, uh, advancements or, you know, whatever, achievements. And so it pissed people off because it was like, why aren't you crediting where credit is due? Now I'm starting to wonder when I'm starting to read this book and you're never even getting close. And I look through the bibliography and I'm not finding these other sources and stuff like that. I'm starting to think, when are you going to start to try and maybe even take some credit for these kinds of things? And I've run across books like this before. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't like that. Yeah, I guess I, I sometimes don't like it. I guess I'm more case by case basis about it, maybe. Because there could be... Uh, nasty taking credit for things that you don't deserve there could be purposefully ignoring things that you cannot refute but would undermine your claims and well the i, I can't refute these other arguments but i can darn well ignore them and you know that's a way to get around it but then i also so distrust democracy that i don't want it can sound really democratic if part of what we task every author with is thou shalt examine the New York Times bestseller list for all of the other work. Like, here's what people read in your area. You have to address these five because they're the most popular. I don't want to go that, you know, well, there's a way to go too far. I mean, there if it doesn't serve the purpose of the, of the book, but then again, like, if... You love the topic area and are loving it so much so that you're going to write a whole book about it. I would think that you have a whole heck of a lot to say about these other books and these other people and their ideas and stuff like that. So then I'm starting to say, well, why aren't you now saying, it? you know what I mean? Like, are you really a lover of this thing or, you know, are you just kind of wanting to press into this, this area of intellectual discussion or whatever kind of like didn't sam harris get into a lot of trouble with free will he just like boom weighed in on free will the little short book and everybody was like what <laughs> you know like it's that kind of stuff where you're like what are you doing like come on there's other people that have said a lot of great stuff about this and and you seem to be shirking your responsibilities yes. because you don't appear to have engaged with the relevant literature and in, in a slightly even more dated reference what about a time someone might say, well, you just wrote a book about evolution and you didn't address Michael Behe's irreducible complexity. But that we might want to say for, on purpose because we don't think it's even worthy 
of critique or mention. Yeah. But certain people might feel Ryanish about that and say, well, this is my favorite thing, and it's about evolution, and you didn't deal with it. So, you know, case by case is what, you know what I mean? I get what you're saying. Denied. <laughs> Number, Number 10. 10. <laughs> Big words, little context. When reading, I like to learn, but I don't like to stop. If you use the word lodestar, give me some way to see you're talking about guidance. If you use the word wherewithal, show me how something is essential to getting something else done. Give me more context. Now in more technical works, there should be room in a book for definitions. So every time I read some jargon, I should be able to have a vague sense, if not a relatively clear one, what is meant. Maybe not as much in a paper, but in a book, there should be some room to do this. This should also apply to acronyms. If you don't use it a lot, like 20 times, write the whole phrase out each time. <laughs> That's, I, I get annoyed by that one. When someone writes a three or four word phrase and then immediately after it puts a parenthesis and then an acronym and another one, and then they use it like twice more or something like, why did I, you have to introduce me to this new thing? Right. Um, I, this might sound, I don't know, sophomoric or something. I wish there were more glossaries like there are in a high school textbook. That's great. Glossaries are a good solution. Give me some, you know, put the term in bold or whatever so that I know that if I have a problem with this or if I'm wondering how you are using the word or, you know, let's get some semantics here and put a little mini dictionary in the back with key terms you know it sounds a little bit juvenile but i like that stuff i think more people should do it. well if it's important if it's something and you just need to breeze through it i don't see why you can't just give a little bit more context to what it is you're trying to say because to me again it's about not slowing things down so that i can get through your 576 page book That that was number ten, by the way. Yeah, and that's all there are because that's we all. Do it. Because uh, you know what I'm really annoyed by is all these top ten lists. <laughs> oh wait, they've got to be super categorical. Just like absolute. If you cross this line, you're dead. You know. Yep. Kill them all. Like, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, there we go. We did it. Woo-hoo. Do you have anything more to say about this ten? Top 10 awesome list about what I hate about things, some things that are done in nonfiction books? No, it was classic. It was beautiful. This is going to be our breakthrough episode. Just (laughs) break on through to the other side. Chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there, 